I am all for paying to market to new customers, but I'll never be able to wrap my mind around paying for our own diners. Why should we have to pay cover fees? It's like getting penalized for being busy. That's why I'm a huge fan of Yelp Guest Manager. It's a reservation and waitlist system connected to a diner network nine times larger than Open Table, and they never charge cover fees. Learn about their new $99 per month plan for newly opened restaurants at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast or call 877-571-9357 and tell them full comp sent you. Now here we go. There's no formula in this. Many people may think you have to be at the right place at the right time with the right product, right, right, right. If you do everything right, you will fail. We followed one motto, which is perfecting the imperfection. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. What do I preach on this show? Business fundamentals, and proven tactics, tools, and strategies that provide repeatable results. And today, we're gonna throw all that out the window. Meet Amit and Anastasia of Mandolin. This married couple listened to their gut and shot from the hip, and over the last 13 years, created an iconic brand so powerful, it's become bi-coastal. We got together to discuss how to build community, a business, and a marriage out of love of culture and each other. So Ahmed and I met each other in New York City. I'm a born and raised Greek Canadian. I grew up in Toronto and moved to New York to pursue a completely different career path. But I ended up meeting Ahmed while he was working in the restaurant industry. And we fell instantly in love, even though we came from two rivaling cultures, Greek and Turkish. I'm of Greek descent. He's born and raised in Turkey. But it was actually food that brought us together and kind of united the cultures. And we found a lot in common, food and music, actually, and all the cultural exchanges that felt natural for us. And being that he worked in the industry, food was a big part of our... And then we started dating. And at that point, I've been working in restaurants. I was a closing manager. I was coming home late at night, often intoxicated, to, to be honest. <laughs> and Anastasia, working corporate, she was getting ready for her conference call well, the he next was day in. while I was trying to sneak into the room. So we created a common dream for us, opening a Greek and Turkish restaurant, one of its kind. It has never been done before because they're the two rivals in the Aegean when you're a Greek restaurant, you do have a couple menu items, Turkish, but you never put yourself out there as a Greek and Turkish. It's either or. So we started dreaming. That was three years before we opened Mandolin. We- Actually, it was one of our first trips together that we took as a couple. We had gone to the Greek island of Paros, and we it was kind of when we established that we were really falling for each other and also realized we had this common dream of either opening a little small restaurant on an island or a small pension. And it turned out that it became this restaurant dream that turned into a reality in 2009 when we came to 
Miami on a trip, avoiding the cold winters as we all do. And I only knew one side of Miami, but this time we decided to rent a scooter and come over to the mainland. And we stumbled upon this really darling neighborhood called Buena Vista, actually. It was adjacent to the design district. The design district at the time was not anywhere near where it is today. It was still just a burgeoning area, a couple of galleries and low-bearing buildings. But we kind of fell in love with the idea of possibly making this dream a reality in Miami. It was more attainable than doing it in Greece at the time. Part of the dream was to open a full outdoor restaurant. In fact, today at Mandolin, the indoor seating is only for 12 people out of 265 seats. The entire restaurant is a patio. It's fully outdoors. And when we first started, it was 30 seats all together with 12 seats indoors, 18 seats outdoors. And then we were fortunate enough to grow organically and to expand through the real estate adjacent to the original mandolin. And today it became what it is, a grand restaurant that still feels small. Yeah, it still has an intimacy to it. But just to backtrack a little bit, I think I always look at myself. Amit had the background in restaurant industry. My grandparents had restaurants and always told me not to get into the business. So I consider myself more of an accidental restaurateur, so to speak. But I wanted to do something creative and particularly in hospitality. It was just part of both of our DNA, cultural DNA and food being part of how we grew up. And we realized at the time, living in New York City, there was really a lack of Mediterranean cuisine. There weren't that many Greek restaurants. They were either super high-end or more of a souvlaki, yido type of place that was with a painted mural on the wall to escape to Greece, you know, or the Greek islands. And we wanted to do something that really reflected our heritage, the food we grew up eating, but particularly the quaint tavernas that we would find in the islands that just allow you to sit there for hours and enjoy wine and those simple pleasures really of life, which is what it's all about. As you said earlier, I too don't consider myself a foodie. I just love the beauty of the simplicity, a beautiful grilled fish and seeing that half eaten table and a mix of an array of mezzas on a table. And that sharing component was so important for us. And it was something that we couldn't find at the time. So Miami seemed like the most obvious choice because A, the climate was very similar to the Mediterranean. And also, quite frankly, it was during 09 when we moved out this way, when the economic downturn had happened. So fortunately, it was very affordable to come out here. We we were able to afford, basically. We could afford it. We could never afford to do what we did and take this chance in New York at the time. So we took a leap of faith and opened, as Ahmed said, with 30 seats. Yeah. And part of the dream was to open our restaurant somewhere where the summers are longer than winters mm-hmm. because it's that outdoor component is significant for what we wanted to do. I don't know if it was intentional that we wanted our restaurant to be 95% outdoors, but it's how it happened and it's how we were able to grow because the reason our rent was so affordable was because the restaurant itself was about 400 square feet, which included a kitchen. 
And that's where we did our kitchen, bathroom, and indoor seating. So imagine we had to, by law, just spill out outside. And luckily for us, it was conducive to the style of cuisine that we wanted to create and the vibe we wanted to create. When we moved there, we didn't know anyone. So it was a very humbling experience for us. Amit coming from New York City and having New York City experience. I mean, when you come to Miami or you come to a new town, it's like you kind of have to erase your entire past and start all over again from scratch. And so that was a huge learning experience for us. But one of the things that really helped us was we started to build our community. Fortunately for us, the neighborhood that we were in was really, there was an emerging art scene. A lot of graffiti artists were emerging at the time and a creative community that lived within the Buena Vista area. We also lived here and we became the cantina for the neighborhood. There wasn't a real strong local food scene at the time. And I guess we kind of captured that very much so with the design and art community. So it's super interesting to me. When you open a restaurant, I think there are few greater determinants of success than product market fit, right? And typically the way it works is you can't create demand, right? If you're selling shit sandwiches and nobody wants a shit sandwich, you're going to go out of business no matter what. But you just moved to the area, right? And you moved to the area to open this specific concept, which generally hadn't been done before. How did you make sure that there was demand for what you were offering prior to opening? Was it strategic or were you guys like, this is what we want to do and hopefully they like it? I think it was more of the later. I mean, honestly, there was one thing that say our backgrounds gave us foresight was that when we moved to this neighborhood, we realized that there was a residential neighborhood, which is where we are, close to a commercial neighborhood of low-bearing buildings. So eventually those people who worked in that area would have to eat. And there weren't many restaurants coming at the time. Actually, no, I want to take that back. There was already a movement happening in the design district with other kind of emerging restaurants, two emerging restaurants coming there. So we saw that this area had potential, but we didn't really know much about it. In fact, we didn't know anything about the mainland of Miami. We went with our guts. The only part that we stayed with strongly is to stay authentic to ourselves without compromising the integrity of what we want to do and just stay as consistent as possible with the product and the service. And then we never thought about strategically how to get the word out. Another issue that we strongly thought was to not to send out press releases. And really, we didn't want to be written up by the media unless it was editorial. This was pre-Instagram era, by the way. We just did everything ourselves, including the marketing. Well, actually, I want to chime in on that. It was more because we couldn't afford it. The truth was we didn't have a budget. Right. And we, so I do remember somebody saying to me, a friend from New York, how are you going to get the word out? And I said, I don't really feel I have anything to say yet. And that was the truth. And I came from, I was building brands, both in the fashion and cosmetic industries prior to food, but food was always my outlet. Entertaining was always my outlet. And when we got there for the first time, I didn't 
maybe because the project or doing this restaurant was so personal to us. Yeah. So there's this marketing theory. It's called jobs to be done. Mm -hmm. Basically, what the theory is, is that what you do is not really what people come to you for. Mm -hmm. There was this big study that was done about McDonald's milkshakes and how most of McDonald's milkshakes are sold in the morning because what people want is a breakfast that they can eat slowly on their long commute, not dessert at the end of a meal in the afternoon. That is the job of a McDonald's milkshake. And then you look at what we do for a living and you say, there are restaurants that serve great food, great beverage and have world-class service to go out of business every single day, right? So maybe it's less about the food and maybe it's about figuring out what the job to be done within an individual community is. And you've been quoted as saying that you believe Mandolin is an unofficial community center. Yes. What does that mean to you and how did you bring that vision to life? So just piggybacking on your point, I use the same thing with my team. I always say that's this stuff is unquantifiable. And to me, that had a lot to do with there was a need and a lack of kind of an authentic approach to hospitality. At the time when we moved here in 09 Miami, there wasn't a sense of locality. And by 2010, there were a few local brands emerging, us being one of them, a coffee shop brand a couple of local businesses run by individuals with a very strong point of view. And Miami started to build its own community. And as I said, we became that community center because I think we were speaking that same language to a lot of people. So we were filling a void that we didn't know even existed in Miami, a need for a place that felt real in a town that sometimes can feel quite superficial, especially in a transient town or a vacation town. We were creating roots for a lot of people, including ourselves, obviously. One of the things that we did was we started to seek out the way that we were sourcing. And we assumed when we moved to Miami that there would be a huge growing community, but there wasn't a lot of the produce that was growing in Florida was being sent out. So we started, Amit particularly started to work with different farmers and started to really make this a part of the mission. And then after that, as word of mouth started to spread, because at the time, starting that small, we were fortunate enough that word of mouth kind of allowed us to grow organically. And every time we made a little bit of money, went right back into the business. So back to buying a table, an extra table and a few more chairs so that we could start to fulfill the demand that was starting to happen for us. And then at that point, I would say by the second year, Instagram had just launched or Facebook and Instagram had just launched. And I used that as a way to kind of, it was a fun tool for me to kind of show that we walk our talk, that who we really are and what we do on a day-to-day and how we had put in a garden into the back of Mandolin. And that really became such a useful tool for us. But overall, everything happened super organically. And although we started, as we started to grow, we wanted to keep that organic storytelling element because it was our story to tell. And people could sense that, the personal touches when they came in. My naivety to the industry allowed me to host as if you were coming to our house because that's the only way I knew I didn't know the ins and outs of the business, yet Amit, on the other hand, knew the operational side of the business, which allowed us to have 
very strong foundation to continue running things lean and mean and control the other side of it. That's correct. For the first seven years, it was just Anastasia and I, and I was the beverage manager, the general manager, accounting manager, HR manager. Expediter. Expediter. There was no one. We never had a host. And we never had a host. Every single host at the door was either me or another manager. Just like if you were coming to a party at someone's house, we felt it was important. and, and, And we kept that even today, although now we have a bigger team. At Mandolin, there's no host desk. Someone who's in charge greets you at the door. There are certain only at mandolin moments that we're super proud of. There's no music at mandolin. We accommodate close to a thousand people a day with no music. There's no full liquor. There's no spirits at mandolin. It's a wine only establishment. But we just wanted to make sure it's the greatest wine list for the restaurant. And so that you get the best of both food and wine pairing at an affordable, great quality for the value point of view. There were a lot of things against us. It was an anomaly in a way because we were kind of walking to the beat of our own drum and we weren't using any of the industry standards to try to draw in a crowd. Not having music or full liquor in Miami was unheard of. But it's the way we wanted to dine and we felt that maybe there would be other people that really wanted to have an oasis that they can walk into and really enjoy putting their phones down and just enjoying conversation, a couple bottles of wine and sharing food together. And in fact, that was the case. And I think going back to that initial point that you're saying, it's those things, those nuances that make a big difference because it's your own story that you're telling. We've almost lost the art of hospitality in the hospitality industry because we've become too generic with the same check marks and everyone's doing the same thing as opposed to doing it your own way. The ultimate dinner party, you want to go to somebody's house and feel and experience. And that's what we wanted to really create. So I feel the vibe at Mandolin, or let's call it the atmosphere, is equally as important as our food, if not more. It's all those sensorial elements that really make a difference. So that became, I guess, our point of difference and why people really would come out of their way off the beach and into this new neighborhood called Buena Vista to come experience us. And that word of mouth really spread. I'm still sometimes shocked. (laughs) (laughs) Seeing what was possible and going from good to great, you're going to learn something. Hearing different perspectives from different people in the group have inspired ideas or concepts that I've used since then that there's no way I would have ever come up with on my own. You pull it out of us as much as possible. When the well is dry, you pour a bucket in there and then tell us, now get it out. We could have been just as lost as when we started if all we got was, here's how to do it, go. These folks are independent restaurateurs, just like you, but they have one massive advantage that you don't. They have a proven plan. 
I'm launching my next restaurant marketing mastermind that brings together 12 owners and operators looking to massively scale revenue by working with me and by working with each other. This mastermind is so effective, we offer a money back guarantee. So if you're interested in scaling your restaurant's revenue with a program that is guaranteed to work, apply today at restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. Again, that's restaurantmarketingmastermind.com. You might think being on the line and filling those tickets is the thing you need to do for your restaurant, but every burger you make is a marketing call or video that you didn't make to drive more sales into your restaurant to make things better. You mentioned that it's seven years there was this inflection point where you worked on the business a little or worked in the business a little less and worked on the business a little bit more. What spurred that change? I mean, it was the natural growth of the business. The business outgrew us. We needed to bring more professionality and we needed to work with the professionals who can help us so that we don't lose our focus on the hospitality side. I used to spend two full days on my Saturday and Sundays handwriting checks in an office. I started this business. I've been in restaurant business for the past 25 years, mainly primarily not to be in an office. (laughs) Right. I always say... The great irony of our industry. Yes. (laughs) We are a bunch of misfits here. Yeah. I don't belong to an office. So... And that's when we realized that we needed to step it up and take it to the next level, again, without compromising the integrity of why we started Mandolin in the first place. Mm-hmm. Man, that's a tough decision, though, isn't it? It wasn't easy, but I give us 8.5 out of 10. And um... <laughs> <laughs> There's so many times that we check in with ourselves, and we have to check in with ourselves when... We do let the noise kind of come in. And like you said, not to think so much about what the customer needs, but rather ask yourself, would I eat this or would I drink that? I couldn't feel good about myself if I'm serving something to someone that I wouldn't even serve to my son. Those have to be those benchmarks of just keeping it simple, keeping it authentic to who you are, telling your own story. And I learned so much about being in this industry because I always looked into it from afar. It's such a communal business. We're basically living in a hippie commune at Mandolin. It's this outdoor, beautiful place with smiling faces. Everyone comes in. We're one big happy family. Sometimes not always as happy, but we try to make it that way. And all those moving parts, you have to keep the harmony together. And in order to do that is to stay true to why you got into it. You can't start becoming corporate if that's not what the culture of the business is about. So that's what we try to maintain. But to Ahmed's point, I think you're only as good as your team. I mean, I'm sure everybody who has come on your podcast has said the same thing. It takes a village, many, many amazing individuals, hardworking individuals that are essentially living part of your dream. So we're living this dream together. And that takes a lot. It does take a lot. And granted, I spent 22 years in LA. I was born and raised in Baton Rouge, though. And what you see in LA is you see that a lot of business relationships don't last and a lot of marriages don't (laughs) last. And you guys 
are rocking both a marriage and a business relationship simultaneously. And it's led to a successful business. What are the secrets to success there? It's our foundation. It's not a rose garden. I can tell you that much. But our foundation always conquers the challenges. And we're very much alike. And our take in life is identical. We love the same food. We love the same atmosphere. The way we run restaurants is how we run our household, our eight-year-old. That's how we eat at home. Those are the ingredients we use at home. Mandolin was not created in a boardroom. Mandolin is a Greek and Turkish restaurant with a Greek and Turk behind it. So it's not, hey, it's fashionable. Let's open an Aegean restaurant. That's not how it is. And that authenticity served us very well. Was there super uncomfortable moments that we (laughs) hit a wall? Absolutely. Was there screaming matches? (laughs) That and more. Absolutely. (laughs) But it's all to create the better version of ourselves so that we can be the role model to our team. I believe we inspired many people and businesses alike that ended up opening Greek and Turkish restaurants. Or more yet, like husband-wife teams or individual places. Or at all levels. It's a, I mean, that alone, that wasn't the intention. It happened organically. And that's something I'm super proud. And I'm sure our son will look up to that. And, and one day he'll appreciate that. That kind of legacy is priceless. But to your point of how we were able to work together, we really respect each other a lot. I didn't really know, as Ahmed said earlier, when he was coming home late at night and it was cute in the beginning, but after a while, I didn't realize (laughs) what goes into this business. And when I started working with Ahmed, we both bring different skill sets to the table. I mean, I have clear opinions on obviously what he does and he has clear opinions on what I do, but we don't cross those boundaries. And because we realize, pun intended here, we don't need so many cooks in the kitchen. And it's been able to serve us well. I have to trust him fully that he's going to make the right decision on the operational side. I only speak up when I really need to and vice versa. He trusts me fully when I'm handling all of the design, marketing, and all the event side of things that I'm going to make those right decisions as well. And we always say this, I think it's innately easier to love someone but it's not as easy to like somebody. And actually, we really like each other. So we dig hanging out with each other. And being in this industry and the amount of time and hours and life and heart you put into it, if you didn't have the same common goal, I could see how that could tear a relationship apart more so than while being immersed in it together. Because it becomes your life. It is your lifestyle. And we get to see each other. Actually, funny enough, we work together every day and we only have a very small period of time together because we're so busy doing other things. But of course, having the common goal and the most importantly, I think you cannot micromanage in this business. You have to let everybody take lead and make sure you have the right people in those places and trust each other's decision making skills. You mentioned at the top of the show that your grandparents owned a restaurant and didn't want you to get into the restaurant industry. That's right. And you have an eight-year-old son. I do. Do do. you want him to get into the restaurant industry? And if so, how do you chart the evolutionary 
differences between your grandparents' restaurant and their lifestyle and your restaurants and your lifestyle. I was recently back, both my grandparents have passed away since, but we were looking at old pictures of them. They had a restaurant in St. Louis, Missouri, and it was called the Acropolis, and it was a family-style restaurant. And I couldn't believe how I followed in their footsteps. I can now, but at the time, this is a tough job of immigrants coming to the country, trying to provide a better life for their family, which they did. And they worked very, very hard. And they too were very immersed in their community. I fell in love with all the positive things that were passed down to me, which was truly that warm spirit and the love of people and the giving part of the industry. What I also saw from them, though, was they looked at it as a means to an end and they wanted to educate their children and then therefore grandchildren so that they didn't have to work these grueling hours. We don't see it that way. We've dedicated our life to this, but even when we're on holiday now, we still entertain others. Even when we have a day off, we still like to have people over. So it really is a part of our DNA. And our son has grown up in this world, so he too has that in him. It's up to him what he would want to do with his life, but he's quite a little gourmet baby, though. I have to say he has a good opinion on food, right? And it's influenced his life already. His favorite food is octopus from age two. And <laughs> <laughs> like a son. So fancy. <laughs> no, we a... went to a birthday party once and they were serving all the things kids love, cupcakes, pizza, chicken fingers. And he whispered in my ear and said, mommy, can we just go to mandolin? I just want some octopus. And I think it's just what he's been brought up eating between his two, a Greek grandmother, Turkish grandmother, and then the restaurant. It's very integral to our daily lives and he's our only child. And we take him to everywhere, to dinners and lunches at Mandolin on the weekends. And I wouldn't be surprised if he pursues hospitality in life. If he ever does, we do have quite a few advices. uh, (laughs) Definitely, hopefully, we'll help him in his hospitality projects. (laughs) If that's what he wants uh, yeah. to do. And one of the main one on my end will be, there's no formula in this. It doesn't exist. Many people may think you have to be at the right place at the right time with the right product, right, right, right. If you do everything right, you will fail. We followed one motto, which is perfecting the imperfection. Today, we keep following that and we're trying to pass on to our team so that not uh, to make things so perfect so that exactly so we that imperfection is the is what keeps it real is the human side yeah you you cannot and i believe in that in this business you can tell when something is created by someone's hands it's so important to be able to reuse things and sometimes when you're sitting somewhere some of my favorite food moments are if i'm traveling in europe let's say and you just see something that is off in that restaurant space, maybe the old 1970s poster is a little bit crooked or that old tin can was left in the corner and then someone shoved a plan in it. And those are those beautiful moments that, I don't know, just capture your heart and pull you in and make you want to stay longer. It's important to keep those things real and human. And I feel today in a world where everything is so 
contrived and thought out and planned and almost like Disneyland. It's nice to kind of go into a place that feels like it's been there forever. What did you get right when it came to getting busy and staying busy? What worked? What didn't? The first five years, we were on a survival mode. Thankfully, we were on that mode. That brought the creative side of ours of making things happen the way they are today. Right, in that scrappy way. That served us very well. Mm -hmm. So I would say I'm grateful for being poor at the time. And so that it really pushed us to be creative in implementing certain elements in the hospitality, which I would never knew they existed had the circumstances been different. If you have enough funds to do everything the way they were supposed to be based on the restaurant book or hospitality school, then we would have done things differently. So the answer to your question is I wouldn't have done anything differently because now time, 13 years, I have proven that this was the right thing to do, the way we started. And now we were not changing a thing. Can I get a liquor license and increase my liquor sales? I can afford it today. I can do it. But I refuse to do so, so that it doesn't compromise, again, the integrity of mandolin. Right. We did a refresh of the restaurant because of the elements and everything here in Miami. We have to, and being outside, we have to refresh the restaurant quite often. And we did a major refresh a few years back. And I had an opportunity to change things. It was my opportunity if I wanted to change the color, let's say, of the door or the entrance, because it's very unconventional restaurant. There's no front door. We had to have people come through the side because the kitchen's where the front door is. So that gate kind of became the portal and the threshold of mandolin. And then I could have changed things in the back house. And I didn't. I sat there when it was empty. And I said, if I was to change any of this, it wouldn't be mandolin anymore. And that's when it loses its charm and it loses everything that people come back for. So it's more than just the food and the consistency of the food, which, of course, has to be there. I think it's important that all these other elements stay consistent as well. The restaurant industry is filled with unspoken rules and traditions about how things should be done. How would you like to see our industry turn the tables to create a better future for all of us? Again, as there is no formula in the business and we have the main pillar in our industry is people. And unfortunately, there is many ups and downs, the way hospitality works, the way people are not taken care of enough, mainly from the operator point of view, us people working in the industry, also from the guest perspective. And I hope this industry turns to be a little more genuine, a little more generous on both sides, especially supporting the restaurant industry people that work super hard day in, day out, is what I expect this industry to become within the next couple of years. Thankfully, there's a big demand towards the industry 
so many people are inspired to become chefs, restaurateurs, or mixologists. I think it's very healthy. And I think the quality is, the bar is being brought up to a higher echelon. And people will be taken care of financially and mentally on both ends, whether as a guest or as an industry people. I second that. (laughs) I definitely have to say that we were saying earlier about how the people part, hospitality has lost the whole sense of what it's about, which is about the people. And also now that people are really seeing in the last two, three decades, people are making careers out of, it's a big career move, a big career shift, but we're still craving that authenticity in hospitality again, the genuine side of that smaller side, that more kind of tailored piece that is both on the team end and on the guest experience end just needs to kind of go back to the core. We have to kind of go back for us to go forward. That's Ahmet and Anastasia. For more on Mandolin, visit mandolinmiami.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.